You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Put your best face forward with Caldera Lab, the leader in men's skincare. Use our exclusive code GATERS at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Support for Gators Breakdown is also brought to you by Manscaped. Don't take a chance while trimming below the waist. Take 20% off and get worldwide free shipping with the code GATERS20 at manscaped.com. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, X. I know I'm still kind of figuring that out. Um, but there, we, you know where to follow, at GatorDave underscore uh, SEC. Hey, look, everybody, I found him. Uh, went up, I, I, I dug him up somewhere. Here is uh, my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSECReadingReaction.com. Will, it's been a little bit. Uh, some busy summers. We're back together. Fall camp has started. And my friend, I guess uh, here we are. Four straight months, five straight months of uh, pure football talk. Pure football. Yeah, man. Good news is, is I'm done getting yelled at by parents for the uh, baseball season. <laughs> and now I transition into getting yelled at by Gator fans for what I take an unpopular opinion. But uh, nah, best time what's of worse? year. What's worse, Will? What's worse? Oh, I'd much rather get yelled at by on X or Twitter or whatever it's called by Gator fans than by <laughs> the parents. The parents, uh, you know, the, the the sports would be great if, <laughs> if it wasn't for the parents. But nah, it's, it's, it's a good time. And, you know, this is a good time too, right? Like, the reality is, is it's fun talking about Florida. It's fun to have a season here. And we've been talking all off season about what we're going to see. And we got, you know, four weeks left to talk about what we're going to see. And then eventually we're going to be talking about what we've seen. And it's the most exciting time of the year, man. It's like our Christmas. Like oh, yeah. the, the, the first game of the year is Christmas. And this year it's a good game, right? Last year it was too. We're not playing the Citadel to open things up or, or, you know, some some Eastern Washington, or we're not playing Georgia's schedule. We're playing, uh, you know, Utah to kick things off. So it's it's exciting to get things going. Yeah, like uh, fall camp starts uh, yesterday, today. Players reported yesterday on Sunday. We get the first practice today on this Monday. As Will said, this is like Christmas Eve. You know, now the anticipation's here. You get that one little gift sometimes, you know, on Christmas Eve uh, that's kind of set you up for Christmas Day. That's kind of where we're at right here uh, with, with fall camp. Uh, getting, getting, getting here, coming around, and, and we're we're all ready for it. Uh, been a while since we got together live, so everybody in the YouTube chat, thank you for joining us live or right here. And uh, yeah, 
Well, I had, had to get the new polo. I see some mentions there, the new, the new polo out. Hey, there's a Lincoln Fanatics down in the description. Uh, you, you can find it there. That supports Gators Breakdown as well. And Sean Abel says, back in black. So, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't think about another ACDC reference there, but, you know, Thunderstruck and back in black now. So, uh, there, there we go. There we go. But uh, all the uh, – uh, all, all the new stuff, all the new stuff that comes with the season. You know, you get all the new merch and stuff too. So uh, that's 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 always fun. But you got to be prepared to match Napier. Now you, you're wearing the same threads <laughs> that he's going to be wearing all year long, and uh, you know nothing like wearing black the first four the first four weeks of the season there when you're down there for the tailgate, buddy. Like that's the right color to be in because it's not hot down there at all for those first couple of games. Thankfully they're night games, but the tailgate it ain't it ain't the night, man. So you're, you're gonna have to watch out. Yeah, you're right. There's night games and all, all the black uh, there. So he, he can wear it. And then was the Arkansas game, we should be getting those black jerseys. So I'm sure that was uh, one big uh, stress there uh, from the Gators merch department. Hey, we, we know we're wearing black this year. So uh, get that black merchandise out there uh, early on. So all right, everybody, hit that like button, subscribe button. If you haven't done so yet, smash that like button. It really helps us out right here. On Gators Breakdown and on Gators Breakdown Plus, hey, you get those ad-free episodes. Hey, as the season rolls around, as you heard at the beginning of this episode last week, two more ads coming in. If you want those ad-free episodes, I mean, look, you support me. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear those ads and stuff. We've got, got to do that to kind of keep the lights on right here on Gators Breakdown. But, hey, to keep it going, uh, if you want those ad-free episodes, you can join Gators Breakdown Plus. You get that Discord as well. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I think we got to uh, announce this just in case you missed it, but the Gators are going to have an open practice this Saturday. So you can go check out the team for yourself in the Swamp on Saturday, but also right after the open practice, Florida Victorious 2023 Fan Day. Uh, so you have to be a Florida Victorious member. You can get on the field access after the on-field practice uh, the open practice is from 2.30 to 4.30. Then you get to get on the field at 4.30 to 5.15 if you're a Florida Victorious member. So if you haven't done so yet, join there as well. You can save 20% on your first month using promo code GATORSBD right there for Florida Victorious. Promo code GATORSBD gets you on the field after this open practice right there on Saturday. So, Will, so pr- pretty neat. We, we've been wondering when we would get to get that kind of feel and get the, around the team a little bit more. I can understand not doing it in year one. You know, you're trying to install so much. You're, you're kind of tunnel vision uh, on getting everything the way Napier wants it. But, hey, give us some good feelings. Get around the team this Saturday. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if I lived anywhere near there, that would cer- certainly be something I'd take my kid to. I think that's the thing, right, is if you're trying to build a community, you're trying to build a culture, um, you know, one of the things that you do is you do outreach. And so this is part of the outreach, and this is part of making sure that the people who are supporting the program are are um, appreciated. And so hopefully that, that allows people who are given to Florida Victorious to feel appreciated because obviously given the 2024 class and where it sits, NIL is certainly playing a big role in what's going on and, and having that in a more streamlined fashion seems to be paying dividends for Florida. So we'll see, obviously have to close off that class. 2025 is a big class coming up too. Um, Hopefully we see some guys pop there pretty soon too, but uh, you know, look, I I think everything is navigating in the Northern direction. So it'll be a cool time to have everybody get together, see some of these players who've been, who've been working, right? These guys like we're getting excited because the season is coming up. These guys, are probably getting relieved that the season's coming up because <laughs> the fun starts to come for those guys as opposed to sort of the dog days of, of summer when you got to put in the work and you don't see any appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, here we go. Fall camp underway right here. You do have that open practice on Saturday, but practice for the first time 
helmets only uh, today. But uh, yesterday we got to hear from Billy Napier, Austin Armstrong, Rob Sale, a couple of players as well. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll concentrate on the coaches. We'll, we'll hear from those play, players coming up uh, multiple times this season. It was Jaden Hill and, and Montreal Johnson. We'll get to hear from those guys uh, coming up this season. But I don't know how many more times we'll get assistant coaches. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna go crazy Austin Armstrong here and, and Rob Sale a little bit as well. We'll hear from Billy Napier a, a bit, but on the heels of SEC media days. We got to hear a good bit from him uh, uh, as well. Uh, So we'll kind of just concentrate it uh, mostly on Austin Armstrong this episode because uh, he had a lot to say, uh, and we know the focus on defense, and plus uh, just some some really good talking points uh, I think we'll take away from there. So Napier, Armstrong, Sale right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. And you know what? We'll get it started with the head man himself, uh, Billy Napier. And, of course, you kind of saw the title of this episode, uh, looking forward to this team and – you know, changes from year one to year two. And of course, leadership and accountability, that's tops. You know, I think there's a renewed accountability uh, with this group of players. I think they would tell you that. I think we saw uh, really good leadership. You know, we really, from a team perspective, I think leadership, we're asking them four questions coming out of this summer, right? Amongst the team, who do you view? Uh, as a great example and a guy that really did a good job throughout the summer in your position group, um, within your class. I think we're looking for lots of cross-section in terms of giving the player a voice. Uh, we have different, a lot of players in different places relative to how long they've been here. And then one of the things we did this summer, as you guys know, is we have accountability teams. Uh, we have two leaders for each team. And then we asked the players, hey, which person on your team that wasn't a leader did the best job, right? So I think that's one of the things I've been most pleased with is we have a number of leaders emerging that maybe weren't in that place when we started in January, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think there's a different level of connection with this group, the team chemistry, the morale, the energy in the building. Uh, is really fun to be a part of. It's a critical time of the year. You've got to work really hard, but you've got to work smart. Um, and I think we're kind of the theme here for training camp, all parts of the organization and the team, is we have to agree to an expectation. Uh, so, and I think that's a big deal, right? I think if we can agree to what's expected of each other, uh, we can go into this training camp with the right attitude and the right approach. And we're, we can say, hey, you know what? I'm up for that challenge. Um, I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to put my emotions aside. And I'm going to be, I'm, coach me, tell me the truth. Um, we can establish trust. We can establish respect. And I'm talking about relative to core values. Um, I think there's a football piece of this, but more importantly, how about your integrity, your role on the team, what type of teammate you are, your discipline, your effort, uh, your toughness, both physically but mentally, emotionally. Um, and then do you bring confidence to the team? Do you spark belief amongst the team because of how hard you work, the attitude and approach that you take? Um, so, you know, I think... I ran across a question the other day that I think is important this time of year. You know, what is integrity? We talk about it being a core value. You know, and I I would say you almost have to ask yourself, am I doing the things that I expect of others? Right? And I think if all parts of our team and organization 
take that approach for the next 21 days, we got a chance to have a good football team. There we go, Will, head coach Billy Napier speaking to the media. And sounds like he's putting a whole lot on these players and trusting his players and to, you know, identify leadership. You know, this needs to be a player-led team. I think, you know, some of the best teams out there, they're player-led. Now, of course, the coach is always going to be in that role uh, but the best teams are player-led teams, and that doesn't happen without accountability, of course, and what he's bringing up and all these questions and talking to each and every player and who's the leaders and who can become a leader and maybe some guys that surprised you. I mean, it really sounds like he's putting a lot on these players in producing and identifying leaders. And look, he even mentioned egos, and that was probably into last year <laughs> to a degree You know, with the things we saw during the season. You had some dismissals during the season and all the transfers after the season as well. Uh, look, not everybody that transferred had an ego problem. Some guys just aren't fits, but you know, I, I do think that that was probably some of it uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, and one more part to kind of extend it, you know, agree to the expectation. I don't know if we'll get that expectation, Will, as far as win-loss record or anything like that. But, you know, agree to the expectation. I'd love to know what the expectation of Billy Napier and, and, and these players are. You know, and that's probably, as I said, not really accounting – talking about record you know it's uh the expectation to go out there and playing hard going out there and doing your job and i think if you do those things okay the wins will come that's probably the easy way easy way out of this right now uh we're kind of over analyzing what these guys have to say but it is talking season and we're, we're, we're going to get that uh we're going to get that feeling right here but uh i i, I get the sense he is putting in in, his, in year two he doesn't have to figure as much out but he's He's putting a lot of faith in his players to figure out leadership, accountability, and who are going to be these leaders on the team. Yeah, well, I mean, look, this isn't Napier's first rodeo. He did the same thing at Louisiana. And, you know, I'm sure that he made some mistakes there and he's corrected some of those, or at least he's looked into how can he do things differently and thought about that. But this is a this is a building on the foundation that he set at Louisiana, went seven and seven his first year at Louisiana, scored about as scored actually less points than they gave up. So probably should have been a little bit worse than they were. Then the next year comes back eleven and three. The offense took a step forward and the defense took a step forward too. Defense took a major step forward. And you know, a lot of that does come. I mean, you think about the games last year where Florida just couldn't get stops. It wasn't a matter of like six guys not doing their job. In fact, normally you looked and everybody did their job but one guy, right? Florida goes down, takes the lead. Anthony Richardson makes a great play, makes a pass to Keon Zipper, who breaks a bunch of tackles. Two plays later, Tennessee's in the red zone, ready to go because they have a busted coverage on the back end. So just making the opposition make plays to beat you will make this team better. Um, obviously, there are questions at quarterback. There are questions about um, about the schedule and the talent, the talent of the teams that they're going to play. Um, all those things we've been talking about all offseason, but it, just in terms of like expectations, like you were saying, I mean, do your job was an expectation last year that couldn't be met, mm-hmm. or at least was not met for a large portion of the season, and it wasn't the same guy every play. But you think about Jordan Travis breaking contain on a bunch of those runs that were just backbreakers against in the game against Florida State. They stopped two of those, and Florida wins that game, and maybe even wins it pretty easily. You think about the game against Tennessee, the third down and third down and ten, where Cox breaks through the line of scrimmage, and and Hendon Hooker is able to sidestep him and make that throw. And three plays later, or four plays later, they're going in for a touchdown, and then you know score a touchdown at the end of the half, score a touchdown at the beginning of the half, and all of a sudden Florida's behind the eight ball. All that stuff we've talked about all off season about the last four minutes of the first half, the first four minutes of the second half, and just executing better and. You know, 
making sure that you're not, yeah, you might throw an intercept or you might throw an incompletion, but the incompletion doesn't kill you because it left two uh, two minutes and 50 seconds on the clock for the opposition, right? It's, hey, we need to throw a screen pass on first and 10. Maybe it's not going to gain 17 yards here on this drive, but it's at least going to bleed 45 seconds off the clock. So all those little things that you start to put together. And, you know, you think about it, early last year, Napier went for it like a wild man on fourth down <laughs> very early on, and that tempered as the season went on. And I do wonder whether it tempered along with his trust of the different players to actually execute what they were asking to do. And so if that's the case, maybe he has more trust this year, even if the players aren't necessarily as talented. So uh, or as talented at maybe the key positions. I think obviously quarterback is the place where we sort of look at and say from a Richardson perspective, it's going to be hard to have somebody who's as talented as, as that position. But look, I mean, no football team wins without having guys bought in. I mean, whenever you hear a team right. that wins the championship, one of the things they talk about is how everybody bought in and how nobody cared who got the credit and all that sort of stuff. And I think we scoff at that because in many ways you see the talent that comes into Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and say, well, the talent makes a difference. But look, there's a reason why those teams win some years and why they don't win some years. And it's not just a talent thing. It's a you got to get the chemistry right. You got to have the right attitude, culture, all that stuff. And after you win one championship, well, now it's really hard to maintain that sort of stuff. We've seen it with the speeding tickets at Georgia this year that just the attitude changes as you start to win. Now, is that going to drag Georgia back? I have no idea. But from the standpoint of of just culture, like you have to build a culture that can sustain the type of success that you want to do. And I think that's what Napier's really talking about. So, And that way, when you bring in the guys who are really talented um, – you know, they have a culture to step into that's already healthy and sort of ready, you know, a championship culture to match the championship level talent that you bring in. Uh, he kind of brought it up too, you know, kind of building a level of trust too between the players and the coaches. And I think for players on the field, that's probably a big thing too, because I do think there were times last year, especially maybe on the defensive backfield, there was not a whole lot of trust and maybe some guys having to, you know, do their. Do, Make up for somebody else, uh, not not doing their job. And you know what? We probably saw it up front too, uh, a good bit. And you know how um, depth was an issue for this team up front last year, and maybe guys thinking they had to make a hero play or have to make the play, and not necessarily doing their job. And I think there needs to be trust of guys around them too. That hey, I, I, we we've built this in spring practice, we built this in five weeks in fall camp, and now we're ready to turn the page. And now I trust these guys around me. I don't have to go try and do their job. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't feel like uh, I have to go out there and make every play. I can now go out there and trust my teammates as well. And I think that's where a lot of this experience will come into play will of you know year two of Billy Napier the experience of the transfers that you brought in as well through the quarterback position and on the defensive front and uh, moting on the back end and all that stuff you brought in a ton of, of snaps uh, on the defensive side and I think that's going to go a long way in trust as well just you know being year two and, and the experience of the uh, uh, of the transfers brought in and also with the coaches you know now you have a single voice on the back end with Corey Raymond coaching this defensive backfield and you know, now I think you ha you have one guy to trust instead of you know, maybe you heard something different from Patrick Tony and uh, despite uh, what you maybe heard from Corey Raymond or maybe it just didn't line up or, or whatever now there's one single voice back there those guys maybe trust what's going on back there from one single voice instead of uh, kind of two different roles back there. So uh, I do think, you know, just a natural progression of, of year one to year two and some of the experience they brought in uh, to go along with the coaches. I, I, I think your trust is going to be uh, a, a, a better factor this year as well. 
Yeah, I mean, look, everybody will talk about trust if Florida plays really, really well. Yeah. And if the defense takes a step forward and everybody will talk about how you need more talent if they struggle. I think I think that's the thing is that you you try your best to build these things and you try to build a healthy culture and you try to make sure everybody trusts each other. But the reality is you don't know until somebody busts a coverage whether whether that stuff has stuck. Right. And, and the finger pointing and the celebrating after a tackle, after a 12, 12 yard gain last year and all that sort of stuff, I think, was indicative of a culture that needed some revamping. And I think, you know, it's not just this past year that there were a bunch of transfers who left. It's also two years ago, a bunch of transfers who left. There's been an enormous amount of turnover and they are relying on a lot of young players. Now, the downside to that is, is that you don't have a whole lot of experience. But the upside to it is you've got guys who don't have a lot of experience with the previous culture. And, and so, you know, I, I don't think anybody doubted that the culture needed a uh, needed an infusion of energy and needed an infusion of accountability when when Billy Napier took over. The question is, and, and this is always the question, right, is, is how far can culture take you mm-hmm. and how far can do your job take you? when you're playing in the SEC and there's only so far it can take you. But again, I mean, you look at the games that Florida lost last year against Vanderbilt games are really close against Missouri. You know, you have, you have the wins against A&M in South Carolina and then start laying eggs in the games right after that. Um, a lot of the games were just, you just needed one stop and you couldn't get it. Even the Dexter penalty on the interception against LSU, obviously he's going full tilt, but that's one of those things where you can't land on the quarterback that way. And, you know, those game changing plays that just never seem to go Florida's way because in many ways, I'm sure just remnants of the disciplinary issues that they had Mm -hmm. previously on the field. So if those remnants are gone, great. I think, again, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of promise when you look at Napier's record because it's not like he had an entire roster overhaul at Louisiana, but they go from giving up 479 points in 2018 to 276 in 2019. And they gave up 375 last year. If they go to 276 this year, they're going to be right in that eight and four range. There, there is, uh, They don't have to take major steps forward on both sides of the ball. They just need to take either baby steps on each or major steps in one. I think you know we're going to hear from Austin Armstrong, obviously, but the change in defensive coordinator suggests that they knew that as well. Mm-hmm. And then, again, I think especially when you think about the defense last year, culture and trust are things that, yeah, absolutely had to be addressed. Sounds like they're doing that, and we'll see how far it takes them. There you go. You just brought the man up himself, Austin Armstrong, defensive coordinator. We'll get into what he had to say right here as well. But, Will, he ended his opening statement you know, toward the end of it, quote, we're going to be the aggressor and we're going to hunt. Well, I put that on social media yesterday, not expecting the backlash from Georgia fans that I got. Oh, he's just copying Kirby. Ah, blah, 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 blah. And I was just, shut up. I mean, it's not like he went out there and specifically said something about Georgia. Call Georgia out. Call Kirby. I mean, has Kirby said something about being aggressive and being, you know, going out there and going to hunt? Sure. I'm sure 50,000 other defensive coordinators have also said that before Kirby Smart. So it's not some special thing for him. Uh, but that kind of perturbed me a little bit. But uh, yeah, go play a real schedule and then we'll listen to you. <laughs> My thing is, they're worried about that. Kind of insecure about some off the wall comment after they've back to back titles and, you know, Winning national championships, I, I I don't get it. I mean that that's their prerogative, I guess. Because like, you know, when you win that much, I guess you got to find things to get mad about. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it is. I, I don't know. 
I don't know. Were we taking shots at Georgia like hard? Like, were we really that into Georgia that much when we were winning championships all the time? Oh, I like was. if feel if I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but were you taking offense to the stuff that Mark Richt was saying? Oh or no, were you? <laughs> no, 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 I mean, no. you know, it's like if you're gonna make fun of something, like if you're gonna, like this is the time when you should like make fun of the opposition, not when you should get mad at the stuff the opposition's saying. Anyway. Yeah. Go play a real schedule and yeah. we'll listen to him. It's just weird to me. But anyway, uh, we'll get into his. Um, he was asked what we'll go to first. You know, the last couple of years have been pretty rough defensively and fans are looking for improvement. Big picture. What is it about this team that will be better? Why should people be optimistic, optimistic about this defense? We can't control anything that happened before we got here, but our players and our staff has worked relentlessly to make uh, the Gator defense what it's supposed to be. You know, we kind of joke around a little bit. I was talking to recruits had yesterday. You know, we were known for the fun and gun around here, you know, but a lot of success, you know, during that time was because of hitting and running. You know what I mean? And we've got to bring that back. You know, we've got to get the mindset back of, you know, we're the University of Florida and there's a standard to uphold here. And a lot of players have come here and laid a foundation with their execution, not their lip service. And we've got to do the work that's required to be able to do that and to put a product out here that we all can be proud of. And, you know, that starts with, you know, knowing what to do, your training, your execution. And uh, we're certainly working every day to do that. Not just a fun and gun to hit and run, Will. I mean, I, I, I love that. But, yeah, I mean, he's got a point there. You know, it's even dating back to – I mean, you could go back to the 80s where you could probably count mostly on a good Florida defense throughout the 90s, throughout the 2000s, besides 2007. But, you know, everybody knows what was on that 2006 defense and that senior-leaded, experienced defense. You got some new faces in 07, but they bounce right back in 08. And Florida goes on a run where, I mean, you could always count on defense in Florida. Until about 2020, you know, 18, 19. Yeah, it may not have been as good as you wanted it to be under Todd Grantham, but it was huge improvements from before. And, you know, what was better than it just completely falls off a cliff uh, in, in 2020 unex- unexpectedly. And we're sitting here pointing at 2019 is looking at a defense where, hey, they, they just got to get better in the big games. Well, they just got worse in every game. <laughs> so it was complete opposite uh, when you want to look at it there. But you know, he mentioned mindset, Will, and, you know, I, I do wonder what do years of bad defense do, does to the psyche of the players? You know, we heard good things a year ago as well about how all this was different from Todd Grantham and hey, you and I thought it was just easy enough getting him off the sideline and plugging somebody else in and you're going to improve right away. Uh, but, but, but it didn't happen that way. So, you know, we heard how it was different from the previous staff and there we were seeing the same results. And I think some of that can be, you know, the mindset of just having to dig out from, future defense from the from, from the last few years. And I think that this is where it can be beneficial to have so many young faces under Billy Napier, you know, first year, second year players, new faces from the transfer portal. You know, the buy-in should be there. The experience should be there. Uh, there shouldn't be many bad habits left from, from, from a defense held over from the last staff. Uh, as I mentioned, Corey Raymond's kind of the single voice on the back end. Every coach is back except for your defensive coordinator, but everybody thinks, hey, this is the same defense, but maybe being led by somebody better right here at Austin Armstrong. So, uh, but, but, I, but I do wonder when you, the, the psyche, you know, I think they got to be tired of all the questions on, on that side of the ball and if they're ever going to turn it around and maybe living up to an expectation. We know the talent level is better on that side of the ball, but as he said, you know, it, it can't just be lip service. It, it's, it's time to turn it around. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the first thing you look at, we can talk about attitude and we can talk about all that stuff, but the first thing you got to look at is the defensive line. And you just look at who were contributors on the defensive line. It was Jervon Dexter, Desmond Watson, a little bit of Chris McClellan, and nobody else. And three guys in the interior section of the defensive line in the SEC, you're going to get mauled in the second half is, is, what is the reality of things. So they've shored that up. When you talk about Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks coming in as as uh, – as transfers, and then you've got Jamari Lyons and Will Norman as either freshman or redshirt freshman. They're backing those guys up on the defensive line. Jalen Humphreys, we'll see if he can contribute something. But now you're talking about, and I think you know Armstrong will, will talk about this in one of the clips coming up, they've got bodies at this point to rotate in, and they're, they're starting to talk about who do I cut from those positions versus, or not cut, but who do I limit playing time for those positions versus how do I get more than two guys out there? And you know that's the reality, is that Florida's just been short on bodies up front now for three straight years it was covered up a little bit by by some of the smoke and mirrors of the defensive end specifically you know you talk about zuniga and polite and then uh um you know and, and then grenard there the year after i think they were able to cover up some of the the defensive line issues that they had they were able to break in you know adam Schuler there as a transfer was able to really fill a spot but then they missed on a couple of transfers and all of a sudden there's nobody there and and that's the reality is they've just been dealing with a defensive line that has nobody in there who's been a game changer. So, you know, hopefully Jackson or Banks, one of those guys can be a game changer. But if nothing else, they're going to allow them to have a big rotation there. And look, everything looks better when you're not getting six yards of pop on a run. And everything looks better when the pocket starts to collapse and it's collapsing from the inside, which means the defensive ends are not are able to get home as opposed to allowing a quarterback to get out the outside. So, you know, look, I think we can talk about attitude. We can talk about culture and all that sort of stuff. But I think on the defense specifically for last year, the the big issue that I saw was just a lack of physicality and a lack of um, ability and a lack of numbers up front. They're starting to fix that. Whether they've completely fixed it, I think, is an open question. And I think we all think it's going to take a couple of years. But, I mean, you, know, you mentioned the defense. 20, <laughs> in 2020, the defense gives up. 370 points after giving up 201 the year before 348 in 2021 and then 375 in 2022 so three straight years where they've been giving up over 30 points a game you give up 30 points a game in the sec you're gonna have some bad years and that's what we've seen they maybe got lucky given 370 in 2020 to be able to go eight and four just because they had such a great offense with kyle trask and pitts and tony but you know you're not going to get that every and, year, and they're not going to get that this year, which means they got to be back in that 200 to 250 range in order to be effective this year, and and we'll see whether they're able to do that. Yeah. And that 2020 total was you know not as many games, <laughs> eleven games. Yeah. Well, I mean well, it is twelve, even though yeah. they didn't show up for the twelfth game. Right. So. <laughs> right. uh, but yeah, I mean you know, I, I just wonder about the psyche, as you said. I, I think as you said, just being deeper up front, and we'll get into that as you said, and, and the names there. Yeah, it starts up front, and and look that 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 group can infuse a lot of confidence in this group. If that defensive line is dominating, hey, guess who's gonna play better? Those linebackers and those defensive backs at the same time. It makes their job easier if those guys up front are. Uh, so maybe the psyche just goes away with a deeper front, and yeah, we'll get into that uh, too in, in just a second. But plenty, plenty more uh, from Austin Armstrong. But hey, here we go. Um, let's get to. Supporters of Gators Breakdown, let's start with Caldera Lab. You know, first impressions matter, and your face is likely the first thing someone notices about you. But, well, let's put your best face forward with Caldera Lab. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging 
Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skin care, and you can use our exclusive code GATERS at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. I just started using it on my daily routine to you know, help with this hot Florida sun and sweat. And I was recently told, hey, man, you look good for 40. I just turned 40, but hey, I want to keep that going. So Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skin care products, and the regimen is your twice-a-day formula to transform your skin. It's pretty easy. 30 seconds in the morning, 30 seconds at night. You'll see results in a week. Let's get to the products and begin with a clean slate that starts and ends your day. This face wash leaves all skin types refreshed. Then you'll apply the base layer right after that to moisturize and hydrate your skin. Even better, it absorbs fast, leaving you with a matte finish to start your day. And then the good is your go-to at-night face serum to round it out. This clinically proven multifunctional serum helps your skin look tighter and smoother, getting rid of those wrinkles. And then let's take it a step further. The Icon It's the eye serum that helps you shine while addressing the three most common skin concerns around your eyes, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. So don't wait. Get 20% off with our code GATERS at calderalab.com. That's 20% off at calderalab.com by using code GATERS. Support for Gators Breakdown is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this offer for Gator Nation. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping with the code GATERS20 at manscaped.com. Don't take a chance while trimming below the waist. Take care of yourself with the new Performance Package 4.0 that includes the new Lawnmower 4.0. This fourth-generation waterproof trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Turn on the LED spotlight when needed for a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker and the nose and ear trimmer. It's the best I've tried. Pretty much the only one that works out there. And after trimming your football, show them some love with the Manscaped liquid formulations. The Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver, Ball Toner are here to take your ball game to the next level. And then Manscaped even throws in two free gifts in the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code GATERS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATERS20 at manscaped.com. Let's get it going again with Austin Armstrong and Will, of course, Everybody wants to know, even dating back to Todd Grantham, dating back to Patrick Tony last year, what can the Gators do to get better on third down? <laughs> That's just going to be the bugaboo of this defense. That's going to be the question that is asked until we actually see something done there, until we actually see it turned around. We talk about bad defense, and usually that is the first marker people will point to is third down defense. But he also goes into it, and he was asked about something the Gators did well last year, and that's creating turnovers. Well, I think there's some layers to that, Edgar. I think, one, you know, the key to being good on third down is being good on first and second down. You know, one of the hardest things to do in football for offenses is in known passing situations, which is used like third and six plus, to drop back, block people, and complete a pass. You know, it really takes an offense, 11 people working on one accord to do that. You know, it's pretty significant. And then defensively, you know, you've got to create those situations on first and second down, whether you're in manageable situations of the defense where you have the advantage. You know, calling defense now on third and four is really, really hard, especially when you get to the plus side of the field where it's really like second and four because the analytics, people go for it on fourth down, right? So we really spend a lot of time of being good on first and second down where we create opportunities 
opportunities on third down for us to be successful. And then with that, using the players that we have and their skill sets in which we believe we have some guys uh, to affect the quarterback with pre-snap disguise, post-snap execution, and the ability to affect him uh, that puts us in those favorable situations. Relative to that, we quality control everything. You know I mean? We watch it. But I think a lot of it goes to, uh, you know, you have some unique players in this league as well on third down. You can rush and cover, but if you can't control the quarterback and the guy takes off scrambling, you got an issue, right? Well, you can blitz and pressure. Well, if you can't cover them or get to them, you got an issue, right? So I think we've we've really emphasized that, and then two, try to create a tremendous amount of urgency that it's a privilege to play on third down here. You know, we don't get a participation trophy on third down. You know what I mean? We got to get eleven guys out there that can execute inside the framework of our scheme and have the right mindset of approach of that it's a privilege to be out there on it. You know, let's make it happen. Let's execute. Well, from Robert Gangel, some one of the strengths last year on defense was number of takeaways. How much do you see that? trend continuing and how much is that going to be emphasizing yeah you know you always emphasize it you know i've been everywhere i've been you know we've spent a tremendous amount of lip service and action relative to creating takeaways and i've been places that we've been really good on defense and we ain't create any takeaways you know i mean i've been places that we have not been good on defense at times or not what we aspired to be and created a bunch of takeaways there's a lot of layers to that you know i think it starts with affecting the quarterback exposing ball security of people on offense you have to you know emphasize that daily each time in practice, you know, hey, it's great to show, you know, in the unit meeting, hey, we forced a fumble here or we intercepted it, right? But, like, was that a, you know, a mistake by the offense or a good play by us? And there's times in which we don't knock the ball out or intercept the ball when there's an opportunity for us to expose the ball carrier. And by doing that daily in practice, that helps our entire team. You know what I mean? If the running backs here are loose with the ball, we've got to expose that because if we don't expose it, it's going to show up in the game. And we've got to, you know, and then the urgency with it of when you get your hands on the ball, you've got to take it away. That's why it's a takeaway, not a turnover. There you go. Austin Armstrong explaining third down defense and turnovers. And well, one part before we get into all these stats, I'm glad he said stats don't tell the whole story because, you know, as he was basically saying, you know, I've been a part of teams that have all these stats and it doesn't amount to anything and vice versa. Uh, look at Georgia. I mean, Georgia has, I, I won't necessarily say trouble getting to the quarterback, but Kirby has mentioned probably the last two years, he'd love to get to the quarterback more, but they're not. It, is it really affecting their defense? Not really. No, no, they're still the nation's best defense, but he'd like to have that, 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 that bullet in the chamber. We go to our own defense. Will, 18 and 19, Florida's leading the country in sacks or leading the SEC in sacks, getting sacks left and right, but couldn't get them in big games. You know, didn't really amount to, you know, a great defense. You were just getting a lot of sacks. You know, you couldn't really take advantage because third down was still an issue. But, hey, those sack numbers were up, <laughs> but, hey, it wasn't correlating. So, as, he, as Austin Armstrong says right there, stats don't tell uh, the whole story there. So, Third down defense will um, – yeah, I'll go back to – I still have it from, you know, when he was hired and Austin Armstrong and you know, maybe why we should be a, a little optimistic that he can turn it around. But, will you go back to a year ago. Florida ranked number 10 in the SEC in sacks with 23. Scoring defense was number 10 also, 28.8 points per game. Number 11, number 11 in passing defense, 236 yards a game basically. Number 12 in rushing defense, 175 yards a game. Number 12 in total defense, 411 yards a game. Number 13 in opponent first downs, basically 23 a game. 
and dead last in opponent third down conversion were the Florida Gators in the SEC last year. I mean, and it didn't matter. Todd Grantham wasn't on the sideline. It was still an issue under Patrick Tony. Of course, Austin Armstrong going to have to come in and really, really fix that issue as well. And why? Maybe. Can he do it? Well, if you go look at the, the improvement that he brought to Southern Miss as a defensive coordinator, you know, 2020 was the last year without him. He comes in in 2021, and you, you, you see improvement right away, right there on third down. 50% in 2020, his first year, all the way down uh, to 39.6, about you know a 10% difference, and then even lower there in 2022. They were one of the worst defenses in the country, Southern Miss was, in 2020, in giving up third down. They were ranked 119th in the country. In 2021, they were ranked 69th, and then another raise in 2022 when Austin Armstrong was a defensive coordinator. So in a two-year jump, all the way from 119th all the way up to 54th, uh, there on, on on third down, but you see the improvement that he brought across the board right there at, at, at Southern Miss, getting better. You know, some of them were immediate. Some took a little bit longer as far as like points per game goes, uh, yards per game where it was an improvement, but a dip in, in his last year there. Not a lot of talent there at Southern Miss. Uh, one reason, you know, he, he was brought there, um, leaves, gets a promotion there to, to, to go to Alabama, ends up at Florida, uh, but third down defense, you saw the immediate improvement that he brought in right there at Southern Miss. Yeah, it's interesting. You talked about like not looking at the stats. I think it's a question of are you looking at the right stats? And, <laughs> and the the thing that I would say is that yes, Georgia. I actually had an article in our in our preseason magazine about this, which was it's not necessarily to me that Georgia's getting to the quarterback. It's that they were the best team in the country when it, or they were fourth overall yards per rush allowed. And they had a negative expected points added on rushing plays. And so when you hear Austin Armstrong say, look, you win third down on first down and second down. That's what Georgia was doing. Georgia was putting guys in third and 12 and Hey, maybe the, maybe they're not getting to the quarterback, but how often do you convert third and 12? Even if you don't get to the quarterback, it's just not a proposition that you want to be in as an offense. And so the defense has a major advantage. And so this is why I go back to those guys up front is that's where it all starts. If it's second and five, and then third and two, and that's what you're doing all year long, you're really going to struggle. And look, every once in a while, you will give up a third and 12. The question is, do the two third and 12s you give up in a game, is that one of seven third and 12s? <laughs> or, <laughs> or is it the only third and 12s and everything else is third and three? And he made a really interesting comment. I hadn't really thought about it this way, but the idea that you essentially have to scheme once you get to the plus side of the field, that third and three, third and four is essentially second and three or second yeah. and four because analytics dictate that you're going to go for it on fourth down anyway. And we've seen that in terms of play calling, right? That, that guys will be more aggressive, that coaches are willing to take a deep shot on, on third and three or third and four when maybe they wouldn't have 10 or 15 years ago. And so it's completely changed the situation. And so when he's talking about winning on first down and second down, Hey, that that's important. Now, one thing that you did have in there is you had points per game allowed and that didn't really move from 2020 to 2021 yeah. there at Southern Miss. The question that I have is going to be, 
obviously when he comes into Southern Miss, there's turnover. There's guys you've got to get to buy into your program. There's all the culture stuff that we spent the first half of this episode <laughs> talking about. Has he already gone through that? Is this essentially a second-year defense for for Austin Armstrong where Patrick Tony took the bullets last year? Yeah. And now, and now Armstrong is going to be able to see that turnaround that you see from 2021 to 2022. Again, I think you look at 2021 and 2022, the big difference there was they started getting havoc. They were fourth in the in the NCAA in sacks, third in tackles for loss, seventh in interceptions there in 2022. They were bad or middle of the road in those stats to start with. The one thing I think you need to watch out for, or at least maybe prepare yourself for, right? You were, during the Napier section, you were talking about expectations. This defense is going to give up some big plays. Yeah. Like Austin Armstrong has given up big plays everywhere he's gone. It's one of the reasons why I was really, really not, I, I was pretty negative about this hire when he first came in because I looked at it and I said, like sacks and tackles for loss, I think are the wrong stat to look for when you look at truly transcendent defenses. Like, the Georgia defenses stop things on the run. They don't give up a ton of big plays, especially rushing. And Armstrong's defenses at Southern Miss have given up a bunch of running plays. They were 98th in 20-plus yard rushing plays in 2021 and 74th in 2022. And so you start looking at that and go, okay, well, does that really, you know, how does that translate in terms of where Florida is? Now, Florida was 98th in 2021 and then 100th in 2022 in 20-plus yard rushing plays. So you're not talking about a defense that was any better at preventing those big plays. But I think that's the thing, right, is that if you're going to give up those big plays, you want it to be through the air. You want to limit things on the ground, and you want those third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. And if you get enough of those, you're going to get off the field, even if you're not a transcendent defense. I think that's been the frustration. I mean, I saw in the comments there, somebody was like, it felt like we had two third down stops all year. And that's probably true because it was it always was third and two and and just the fact that it was always sitting in that situation meant the defense didn't have much of a shot and then you have the couple during the game that get converted that are third and long and just you never get off the field and uh, you know that's been a constant now for three straight years and it's going to be up to Armstrong to fix it but again I think it's I think it's worthwhile to set the expectations this defense is still going to give up big plays the way you want to measure it is not did they just give up a 90 yard touchdown the way you want to measure it is were there, you know, have there been seven third and longs in the first half today? And if that's the case and they've given up 14 points on two big shots, I think we got to live with that because I think that's what this scheme and these players are probably going to get out of things, especially early on. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Ocho Gringo on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord brought up when Southern Miss played Tulane last year. We know how good Tulane was. I think Tulane jumped on like 14 nothing, like really, really quick, some big plays, and then pretty much shut him out the rest of the game. So maybe adjustments are a good thing for Austin Armstrong as well. We'd love to see some adjustments being made uh, along with that. But also, you know, with that 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 maybe talent uh, deficiency there at Southern Miss, maybe felt like he had to take more risk, uh, and that led to some bigger plays. And maybe with a talent infusion at Florida, then maybe that comes down as well. But, Will, I kind of agree with you. As aggressive as he is, there may be some of those, those big plays that are there. But if I guess if you're creating turnovers, uh, if you're – or a clutch defense, and you know, I think uh, if you are better on third down than than what we have seen, then that, uh, that can translate as well. As you said, giving up big plays aren't, is not a, a a death sentence by by any means, but where else can you make up for that? At I guess would be I, yeah. you know, my biggest question. Hey, he's not BSing when he says he wants to hunt. 
Yeah. Like that has that has been his mo <laughs> everywhere he's been. I have zero doubt that there are going to be times. I went back and looked um, for for something. We're putting together a little uh, a little postscript for the magazine, little update. I went back and looked at the defensive plays. It was a game that uh, that uh, Southern Miss played. I think it might even been Louisiana. And every time it was third down, the house was coming. It, they, like there was never a point where I was like, oh, he sat back in a zone. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> like they were coming. They were man-to-man. There was one, like I think it was the first third down of the game. They had cover zero. They just brought everybody and said, we're going to put our corners out on an island. That's going to happen this year. You're going to see. They're going to challenge Jason Marshall, and they're going to say, you got to make a stop. Like we need you to to high point the ball. You can't allow just a little pop up down the middle of the field to turn into a fifty yard gain. Like you know, you're gonna have to start making those plays, and they're gonna challenge those corners to do that. Can those guys live up to it? I think that's gonna be a big part of the story of the season. The other part is, is when you bring cover zero, you want to get to the quarterback. And so if that defensive line is getting a push up front, you can make quarterbacks really uncomfortable if you're getting push up front. So you know, look, I, I think. Um, I think there's going to be some times where Florida has the ability to do that just based on talent. I think they're going to be able to scheme some things open that allow them to get to the quarterback. I think, you know, we we do our over-under every year, and I think I'm going over sacks depending upon, um, especially if you said it based on last year's numbers. But, uh, That's true. <laughs> you know, but, but the reality is, is there are going to be some teams where they just can't get home. And when they can't get home, we're going to see some big plays and we just need to be prepared for that. Again, I think the, the, the issue when people get mad is usually when their expectations don't meet reality. So if you expect this team to give up four points a game and never give up any big plays and be the Georgia defense that we've seen over the last, you know, from two years ago, you're going to be disappointed. But if you expect the team that's going to give up some big plays that, that they're going to leave some guys out on an Island and sometimes that's not going to work out, but, you're going to start getting some explosive havoc plays in the backfield. Then I think your expectations are in line with what Armstrong is going to want to do. And like I said, like looking at the tape, the uh, the hunting, he's not he's not just saying that. Like he's going to come after guys. Third down is going to be a blitz down. Third down is going to be a time where. You know, the only time you're not blitzing is when you're trying to trick the quarterback into right. thinking that you are trying to get him to get rid of the ball early. You get somebody to drop into the zone, and you're hoping you get a pick six. So, uh, you know, it sounds like they had a couple of those today. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully those were, uh, hopefully those were some zone blitzes that uh, that Dijon was dropping into when he was picking off those pick sixes. Yeah, heard that too. Dijon Johnson with a couple pick sixes. Heard Jack Miller was the quarterback. Take that for what it's worth. You know, we'll try and do some more digging there, but. Uh, that's uh, that, that was the name I heard. So we'll we'll, we'll see if we can uh, go from there. But uh, uh, yeah, well, and, and I think we if we use the spring game as a barometer, you know, I, I think it gets kind of put out there. Maybe he blitzed a lot, but some of those, uh, maybe even a lot of those, were not blitzes. It was bringing four guys. You just didn't know which four <laughs> were coming. He did a pretty good job at disguising, not calling out the dogs. You know, Billy Napier did not in, in that spring game. Uh, there, so you know, so a lot of it will look like blitzes as well, but it might all be coming from one side, <laughs> the defensive line, where you know m- most of the four that are coming are all on that left side or all on that right side, kind of using numbers to their advantage on one side and see if we can get to the quarterback. But you know, simulated pressures, the creepers. I think we'll see a lot of that. Uh, and as Q says, no, no, no double cornerback blitzes. Uh, he, he does not want to see that. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we are done with the seeing that or. We'll all lose it if we see that one. Oh, or safety's blitzing from Jacksonville. Uh, you know, I don't think we need that either. So, uh, uh, all right, let's keep it going. We also Armstrong. One more sound bite from him, and uh, it was on 
the missed tackles, you know, not just last year, but that's where the the question went. But we know it's been an issue for there. Uh, had he improved that in the offseason and coming up here where you only have 15 practices and very limited contact is basically you know, how, how do you fix tackling in just uh, in the way college football is changing in the short time window? I think the most uh, underrated and unspoken part about defense football, everybody wants to talk about scheme and doing this like that, is you got to get the guy to the ground. And, you know, thankfully I work for a head coach that really understands that. And from starting in our off-season program in January, we work versions of tackling. You know, tackling is not just going out there and headbutting each other. It's the pursuit, it's angles, it's leverage, it's the relentless effort, how to finish, and then the tactical aspect, the technical aspect, excuse me, of finishing plays, right? And everything we do, regardless of we're in helmets, shells, pads, there's a specific tempo that we have to practice with. And even though we may not be tackling somebody to the ground, the pursuit, the leverage, right, the angles, and we spend a lot of time about that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to get the guy to the ground and we try to be very specific about the situations that arise in games and we spend time with our staff you know coach Bateman's kind of our our tackling coordinator and we watch a lot of film of the tackles that actually happen during the game so we try to recreate that as much as possible it's decision making tackles we talk about end of the down tackling when you're in short space and you got to get the guy to the ground and the different techniques that come with that so we, we emphasize it to the fullest Emphasize it to the fullest will. And I, man, I, you brought it up earlier. I was going to bring it up here. Uh, we all go back to the last regular season game of last year where tackling was just on full display and a sad display. <laughs> I mean, we saw it. You could do everything right and not finish the play. Saw it too many times where, where plays are extended, should be simple gains or you know, no gains at all that go for long yardage. And we've seen short yardage plays where an offensive playmaker breaks through a tackle, gets a first down, and – as I said, you know, as we forget that debacle in Tallahassee last season where Gator defenders in the backfield on crucial downs, putting pressure on Florida State to, you know, stay on field goal range or have to kick a long field goal. And Jordan Travis just somehow escapes a bajillion tackles and, and makes a play and one's a touchdown and another one's in, you know, goal to fumble into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and it just makes huge plays when. All it was is a simple tackle needed to be made, and Florida may win that game. Twice it happened. Florida may walk out of Tallahassee with a win. They can make either one of those plays. Uh, they could make either one of them. Uh, so, you know, it was the last regular season game where we just saw it on full display of just how bad, you know, tackling has been for Florida. But it wasn't just, a, you know, a, a problem last year. It's been an issue for Florida. And we could sit here and, hey, the game has changed, and you don't have the time you used to, and, hey, all those other good defenses out there find a way to make it happen. We, we cannot use that excuse uh, when somebody else out there is making it happen. I don't think they're going to be making any excuses in these, in, in these next four or five weeks of fall camp. Yeah, I think I think the important thing that I heard in all of that discussion is when he talked about leverage and angles. And, you know, you hear people talk about, and you, especially when you're, when you're listening to announcers, you hear them talk about contain and – you know, they're talking about typically a quarterback getting outside of the contain and the defensive ends rushing so far up the field that he can either cut inside or a defensive lineman or a defensive end sort of moving to the inside on like a stunt and all of a sudden the outside is open. But basically not maintaining leverage there on the outside. And that's what you typically hear when you think about contain. But when I think about it last year for Florida, they lost contain downfield a lot. So it'd be something where like Kenan Hooker had a big run in the game against. Florida 
I want to say it was a third or a fourth down, a crucial third or a fourth down, where he ran for like 30 or 40 yards. And it was something where they had him stopped at, say, like the seven or eight yard mark. And the def- the defensive back lost contain. So the defensive back went for the tackle mm. yep. instead of funneling him back to his teammates on the inside. And so, you know, you go for the tackle and you get him down and everybody gives you high fives, but you didn't do what you're supposed to do, even if you get him down. And if he's if he's mobile enough and he can make you miss, well, all of a sudden it turns into a 30 yard gain. And those are the things that I think of last year. There was a lot of stuff, especially in the defensive backfield with the linebackers as well where you would have a guy not necessarily dead to rights like in the backfield. You'd have a guy five, six, seven yards downfield. And yeah, it's a first down. And yeah, you're going to have to have a whole new set of downs. But to turn a seven-yard gain into a 40-yard gain because you didn't funnel the guy back to your teammates. Like, think about it. How often did we actually see Florida make a gang tackle where you had five or six guys come firing in to bring a guy down? I can't remember seeing that much at all. And I think a big part of the reason you didn't see that is you weren't, you didn't have guys funneling the running back or the receiver or the quarterback in Hooker's case back towards the middle of the field where you could get some help. And so when he talks about angles and leverage, he's not just talking about getting the hip and taking the guy down. He's talking about making sure that you incorporate your teammates into the tackling process. Cause look, if you get four guys surrounding the surrounding the runner. I mean, look, Canarius Tony might be able to get through something like that, but most guys are going to just end up going down and you can sort of corner them and get them to go down in a way where you don't necessarily have to make a great open field tackle. And look, every once in a while you do need to make a great open field tackle and so, and somebody's going to have to step up and make those plays. But for the most part, a like if you're talking about an elite defense, yeah, you're going to have to make that play every once in a while. But if you're talking about just a defense that isn't putrid, then it's, did you do, and this goes back to the, the first part, did you do your job? Your job was not necessarily to get the guy to the ground. Your job was to make sure the team got the guy to the ground. Can you do that right? Not just one time. Can you do it right every time? And can you give up maybe a third and four or a third and five, but it doesn't turn into a 30-yard gain because you did your job? And instead of them being on the plus side of the field now, they're still sitting at, say, the 35 or the 40-yard line on your side, and it gives you an opportunity. Like That's where the stops come, right? If you give up 80 yards and the guy's in the red zone, it's really hard to stop him at that point. It's it's do you make him go 10 yards at a pop all the way down, just barely move the chains and have to do it again? And when you have an offense that that does that, that moves down the field that way, they're going to make a mistake at some point. And when they make the mistake, you get off the field, maybe you force them to a field goal, maybe you force them to punt, and you've got the ball back. There just wasn't enough of that last year. There were too many 30-yard, 40-yard plays, and then – and then the defense was already in a compromised situation, and they just didn't do their jobs. Yeah, and then more on the uh, kind of I guess single effort. You know, the safeties had trouble breaking down tackles, breaking down players in front of them. I mean, too much, too much, too much lunging at ankles, too many lunge tackles. You know, not necessarily breaking down a tackle either. Uh, so going to your point too, you know, I think you know I, the gang tackling. I mean, also think about it, how many more turnovers you probably create. In, in that situation, when you get more players around the ball, fumble happens, okay, well, you got five guys who maybe picked that fumble up. Uh, so, you know, I, I think your pursuit, getting more, as you said, hats around the ball, uh, another aspect of that, too. I, I, just, I didn't even think about the whole game tackling aspect. Now, I, I think I did think about that one time, maybe during the season last year, but something that's completely, you know, with my mind that we, we, yeah, we, do, we did not see that uh, a whole lot. So hopefully this, 
you know, running to the ball, um, 11 guys all, uh, all in pursuit. I mean, I think, I think we, we go back to it a little bit. Not, not guys you know, in, in spring, uh, Kamari Wilson, I think, you know, the fumble that he created was, you know, not giving up on a play and everybody in pursuit and uh, try, trying to make a play there. So, you know, uh, we, we know the aspects that need to be improved. That's one of them. But uh, I, I do like the one of, you know, not overlooking some, some gang tackling there. Yeah, well, I mean, you just look two years ago. The Florida-Georgia game changed. The whole complexion changed when Georgia picked Anthony Richardson up off the ground and the ball pops out, and all of a sudden that entire game changes. And, you know, that wasn't like – it wasn't like, oh, Georgia did a great job on that play. Richardson actually pushed forward for like seven or eight yards on that run. But the fact that they kept coming in and kept fighting and kept ripping at the ball, and all of a sudden the ball pops out, the whole complexion of that game changes. Now, obviously, the two turnovers after that um, didn't didn't exactly help things, but part of the the – the stone rolling down the hill there for Georgia was getting that first turnover because of gang tackling. And and it, to me, again, it's indicative of everybody knew what their job was. And part of their job was get a hat, get my hat to the ball. The minute I know that guy's got it. And, and the minute we've got him contained, there was no way for nowhere for Richardson to go once he decided to go up the middle, other than try to power through it. When he did, he coughed up the ball. So, um, you know, those sorts of things happen when you put yourself in those situations. And that's the thing, right? Is that you want to put your, if you put yourself in the right situation time after time after time, you will eventually see success. And it's that way with quarterback play. It's that way with defensive play. It's that way with any sport is that, look, there might be an opposing player who makes an unbelievable individual play and all of a sudden you're left in the dust. But if you filtered him back to the right direction, then being left in the dust means he gains an extra 10 yards, not an extra 70. And and those are the sorts of things that hopefully they'll be able to eliminate or at least minimize this year. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we'll keep it going. Uh, just because of time limit, uh, I can't necessarily show it. Uh, but Austin Armstrong, I asked about players that stood out. And, hey, he didn't want to single anybody out, Will, so he pretty much just goes through the whole defense <laughs> for us out here. <laughs> so uh, and going to one of the points you made earlier, and certainly out one I wanted to get into because you and I, you're dating back to spring when you, me, you and Nick were on here and how, hey, Florida's much, much deeper up front. Uh, and Austin Armstrong really goes into that. And he goes, I didn't want to get into the individual's uh, but you know, brought up defensive line. You have Desmond Watson, Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks, Chris McClellan, Tyreek Sapp, Jamari Lyons, and Will Norman, all battling to play and contribute, Armstrong said. You've got seven guys in there to play two spots. We've got to figure out four or five that can do it for us. 
that is a good problem to have. I think we all feel good in some ways about Desmond Watson, about Cam Jackson, about Caleb Banks, Chris McLaren, Tyreek Sapp. I mean, that's just the, the names there. Jamari Lyons not well-known, but he's going to throw his name into the mix. Will Norman, a highly rated freshman coming in as well. I mean, it is a good problem to have that Florida did not really get to have last year. You know, Jervon Dexter playing out of position, playing too many snaps. That's not going to be an issue this year if all these guys can contribute. I mean, it's good that he's already bringing it up. Like, hey, these are the names I, I, I have. You know, I, I have this arsenal right now. This is how deep I am up front. You know, and we're talking mainly, you know, Minus edge rushers, minus um, you know defensive end right there. Uh, but he does go on to say that he goes. Think about our edge category guys: Princely, Boone, Kelby Collins, Searcy, Cam James, Jack Pyburn, Quincy Ivory, the new transfer coming in. Um, he says that that position is very flexible because one of them is almost like a defensive lineman. And will I think if we break that down a little bit, yeah, we know Princely is going to be that edge. Boone's probably more of a defensive lineman type. Kelby Collins probably more of a defensive lineman type. Seriously, the edge rush, Pyburn, and the edge rush type. So they got some position versatility there where maybe you're your strong side defensive end or weak side defensive end and then your edge rusher. So uh, as he says, one's like a defensive lineman, the other's like a linebacker. And then on third down, they're two totally different type of players. So you have an inside backer. Uh, he says it's huge tactical position for his defense. Shamar, Scooby, Wingo, Taraja Mitchell, Manny Nunnery, Robinson, Spurlock, all those guys have done a good job, he says. Um, and I like, I like how he put that, Will. Uh, a huge tactical position is that inside linebacker. So uh, really uh, eager to see how he does that. But for that, because there's a lot of moving parts there. We use our linebackers very differently here. Sometimes we will play with a Mike, Will, and Sam. Sometimes we'll play just a Mike and a Will. Sometimes we'll play just a Mike. So there's a lot of layers to that. So some versatility there uh, as far as linebackers go. Uh, and then he kept going to start a nickel, um, pretty decent amount of time, he says, with Jadarius Perkins, Jay Hill, Sharif Denson, Bryce Thornton. Bryce Thornton gets some work at nickel, so that was a kind of a revelation that he may play there just a bit. He says a lot of position flexibility there. They've done a great job. And then back there, um, he says, keep going about safety. Kamari, Miguel, RJ Moten is a new addition for us. Jordan Castell had a great summer. Uh, Jamarcus, he said Bryce again for there. So maybe nickel safety for Bryce. Uh, and then Jamarcus Weston, of course, being moved to safety. Uh, and then he mentions corner, Marshall Moore, Kimber, Jakeem Jackson, uh, D, Aaron Gates. And then so Aaron Gates kind of getting that uh, corner label right there from Austin Armstrong. So uh, maybe some wondered if he was going to be corner, if he was going to be safety. Uh, so a lot of players bought in, he says. I think our biggest thing is reaching each individual and their potential. Uh, start Before we start categorizing people as leaders, I think that's a cool time about this time of year, but really pleased with the unit, he says. So I like how he dove in, Will, about the numbers at defensive line, maybe how they'll use the linebackers as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I think defensive line, it needs to be Cam Jackson, Caleb Banks, Desmond Watson, and Chris McClellan with additions from the true freshman. I think you can say the same thing about safety. I think you can say the same thing about corner. Um, linebacker, I think I'm pretty comfortable with Taraja Mitchell and Shamar James being the guys who are out there with Nunnery, being the athletic guy who sort of comes in, hopefully can go sideline to sideline. I feel comfortable with the linebacker, which is interesting because I haven't been felt comfortable at Florida yeah. with, the, with Florida at the linebacker a really long time. Um, but Kamari Wilson, Dakota, or and Miguel Mitchell there at safety, those are two 
two young kids who haven't played a ton there. And if you start getting into the Jamari Lyons and the Will Normans and the Kelby Collins and the Cam James for more than sort of 9, 10, 11 snaps a game, all of a sudden you're starting to rely on true freshmen in a way that I'm not sure you necessarily want to be relying on true freshmen in the SEC, especially early on, given what the schedule is going to be, um, you know, starting off in that game at Utah. So getting a guy like Quincy Ivory in is a big deal, not just because you've got another guy on the defensive line, a guy who can hopefully put pressure and wreak some havoc, but because now you got a guy with some experience who can come in there. Caleb Banks ha- doesn't have a lot of playing time, but certainly a lot of experience in college programs. I mean, we got to remember some of these guys, yeah, a lot of them came in in the spring, but they're still adjusting to what it's like to be a college football player. Yeah. And it's okay, like, you know, look, we should expect contributions from true freshmen like one, two, three guys. Like you think about um, Kamari Wilson contributed last year. You obviously have ETN who contributes last year. Um, you've got Shamar James who contributes last year. But it's not like a lot. You didn't get 17 guys from that recruiting class contributing. If we're naming true freshmen at the end of the year in terms of their contributions, that may be good for the future growth of the program, but it's not good for 2023 because you don't want to be relying on those guys. So, again, I think that's sort of the thing is he named off a lot of guys. There's a lot of freshmen, a lot of young guys he's, he's naming off there, and hopefully some of the veterans can, can stave them off. Yeah, I mean, and you mentioned safety. It looks like R.J. Moten, I think, may be supplanting Kamari Wilson. I think it might be a Moten-Mitchell uh, safety backfield there for the Gators. Um, so, you know, transfer from Michigan, a lot of snaps for a, a team that's reached the college football playoffs the last couple of years. Uh, lost a job late last year. Then there was some question whether they maybe saw him as more of a linebacker than that, but I uh, know they've been impressed with him so far. Uh, he lined up first team uh, there in the first practice today as well. Uh, if that means uh, much to you this early on uh, in the process. So uh, there's your look at defense. As I said, that would kind of carry most of this episode. Austin Armstrong with a lot of good things to say, uh, and I definitely wanted to get him uh, there. Since we get, haven't really got to hear a whole lot from him, of course, being the new defensive coordinator uh, there. So all right, let's keep moving it forward. Before we wrap up here on this episode, we'll go to Rob Sell, uh, co-OC there, along with Billy Napier, offensive line coach, and sounds off on a couple of guys that stood out. From uh, from spring to now, uh, so some good thoughts there. You know, Slaughter, uh, Najee Harris is what Rob Sale has to say. Guys that really showed up, um, I would say Jake Slaughter, um, Najee Harris. Um, you know, there's some other guys, but those two guys off the top of my head really stand out and um, guys that we know that we can count on and I'm um, going to mix it up here in the next few days and uh, can count on them to play good football for us. Najee Harris is someone who's impressed you. Yeah. What, what has he been able to do just to get to that point? Man, he just football comes easy to him you know he looked like he's been around here three or four years you know and he's a he's a freshman everybody it kind of hits him a little bit different different times you know some need need more reps some kind of get the concept okay I get it um but he's a guy that um is a good teammate good person obviously a good player as well so um he's gonna be a good player for a long time around here for us center in high school but you guys have uh, kind of a cigar now. He played. He played both. He played all inside three. Constantly moved around. Um, so I think that's easy for his transition um, and where where he came from. Um, has pretty good coaching. So um, it, it makes it easy for him, him to be able to move around. You know, even though he hasn't played center and put the hand on the ball for us, he can go out there right now and play it, which it's hard to do. Special. 
a lot of confidence in a true freshman right there, Will Najee Harris. And we saw him get that playing time. Uh, Mazuka goes down in spring camp, and it's Najee Harris. I mean, he was turning heads before that, and it was kind of probably just the way Rob Sale sounds right there. Okay, well, we know exactly who we're going to plug in right there behind Mazuka and go get him some reps in spring camp. And um, and I think it, it's it's odd to hear that about a true freshman, I think, going back to spring so early in fall camp right there at that position because it's just so hard for – true freshman to come in and that position of offensive line and, and being able to contribute. But Rob Sell, you know, I, it sounds like a lot of confidence there because I, I think we bring it up just because we heard so much going back in the spring. It kind of matches uh, what we were hearing behind the scenes and also what Rob Sell uh, is bringing up about Najee Harris. And, hey, look, there's probably one more reason we want to get a lot of IMG guys because it sounds like they're probably really well coached <laughs> as well. Uh, and, you know, that's a football factory there at the high school level. And you know, they, they put football higher uh, than a lot of other programs out there. So, you know, I do think uh, it's, it's easy to see uh, going back and dating back to spring while they're probably so excited for him. Yeah, I mean, look, I think first off, good job by sale there, making sure that IMG coaches like what he like what he's selling. <laughs> um, you know, hey, anytime you can flatter those guys, it's, it's worth doing. Um, you know, the reality is you got Keontae Goodwin, who who's decided to transfer back and certainly, you know, best wishes to his mother. That's a that's a Absolutely. more than more than a valid reason to transfer. But that does open up a hole, right? That opens up. Are you going to have to have a tackle who moves into the inside? What are you going to do in order to fill that hole? And so one of the things that you may end up having to do is have a freshman come in and step up into that role. Every spot's open. Right. I mean, the only one that's not open is Egwiken at center. And even that, I mean, he's singing Slaughter's praises. So he's trying to push Egwiken a little bit there. Um, left tackle's know, I, not, I, left tackle's not open either for Bar with Barber. Yeah. Well, I mean, but again, I, I think, um, that's not necessarily what they had to start the year last year. Right. So you talk about continuity um, oh, yeah, from yeah, the yeah. starters from last year. Egwiken is the only guy who's really the carryover. And so you got a lot of open spots. And, you know, one of the things I'm sure that they've been selling these guys on when they've been recruiting them is you're going to get an opportunity to play right away, or at least you're going to get an opportunity to show that you can play right away. Mazuka is going to be limited in in fall in fall camp. Obviously had an injury in spring camp, some some controversy about whether he's going to stay or not. Limited in fall camp. There's an opportunity there, right? There are opportunities for guys to to step up. And because you know, they they brought in a bunch of different guys from the transfer portal, and you know you've already lost one, but now you've got Lindell Hudson coming in as well at, at, at tackle. So you know, look, the numbers are okay; they're not great, and so there is an opportunity, I think, for true freshmen to step in. I think again, I mean, I made the statement that if you've got guys playing more than ten or twelve snaps, that's more of a defensive line perspective. Um, you know, if you've got a guy who can go in there and play well on the offensive line, you, you don't really want to be be jettisoning those guys in and out all the time. You want to find your five and ride with them. Um, the question is, can they stay healthy all year? And is he big enough? That would be my question for Najee Harris. Is, is he big enough and is he strong enough to hold up over the entirety of an SEC season? He may know what he's supposed to do, and he may be functionally strong for a true freshman. But when you get when you get in there in a stunt, you got Harold Perkins coming around on the inside <laughs> in in November when you're playing LSU. It's a different story than when you're in fall camp and you're completely healthy, right? Once you've had a running back come up on your ankle and you're hobbled a little bit and all that sort of stuff. So that those are the things that I think you start to worry about with true freshmen, especially guys who who are well coached. It's not necessarily are they going to be able to 
do what you've coached them to do. It's going to be, can they hold up over the strength of a full season? And Harris in many ways is a depth piece for having guys like Mazuka and Richie Leonard and George and Hudson and Barber and Egwakin out there. Um, I think if you to come into the season after everybody transferred out with 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 White and and Tarquin transferring out, if you'd have told me that you could name seven guys that you might feel comfortable with out there at offensive line, I would have said, "Ooh, they've done a pretty good job of refilling the room." So if Harris is the sixth or seventh guy, I think you're probably okay. If you're starting Harris now, I start to get a little bit worried um, in terms of just you probably don't have that sixth or seventh guy. So it's not necessarily about the fact that Harris is in mm-hmm. there starting; it's that what happens when. When a guy goes down, do you have the depth to be able to fill the position? If you're starting a true freshman, um, you know that guy either needs to be really special, or it's indicative that the depth isn't where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, we need Mizuka to, to be, you know, the guy that we expected him to come be when you transferred in from Baylor, and he needs to be starting there along that offensive five with Najee Harris, maybe getting some reps um, uh, along the way. Richard Leonard, and another guard too. I think you know. I think you know, Florida, as you said, counting Mazuka in there, and you know, left to right, Barber, Mazuka, Aguiken. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Right guard, maybe Leonard, uh, and then tackle. Uh, I think that's where we go next. Uh, and that's probably still the biggest question mark. Right tackle for this Gator team. Uh, Rob Sell goes into that as well with the loss of Keontae Goodwin uh, in this tackle rotation. We, we still got enough bullets in the chamber there when it comes to uh, Damian George. You got uh, Lindell, you know, and you got Jordan Herman. Um, so we got guys there that can, can play football for us. What stood out to you about Lindell when you guys evaluated him and, and ultimately what led to you guys acquiring him? Um, you know, you watch his tape. He has the, the movement skills that you're looking for, and then you got to trust your your plan and your develop how you get guys caught up to, to speed there. Um, that's our part, um, to get him to play that way. Um, but, you know, you watch his tape. He's a guy that can change directions, long, hard to get around. Um, so we're expecting good things from him. Considering you graduated out of the program, how important was it maybe to add a guy of his experience, having been in the college game for so long? Yeah, I mean, he's played played snaps, and, you know, it's, he has obviously haven't played in the SEC, but um, experience matters. Getting snaps underneath your belt, definitely. Well, it makes me wonder what will win out. I mean, Damian George, I think, is probably the guy going through spring. Um, he'll probably be the guy there at right tackle. Uh, as they said, Hudson brings in a ton of snaps. Uh, from FIU for, for for the last few years, but you know George, uh, his time at Alabama played a you played a handful of starts, played in a lot of games for the Crimson Tide, uh, was mainly a backup, but got some high praise from Nick Saban at SEC Media Days, and I believe Cole Kublik as well. Maybe how he fits into this Florida offensive line. Um, so I guess he's the guy at right tackle. But man, I mean. It, it's just kind of weird. Hudson transfers in with that many snaps, and he's not a starter. I mean, it's just yeah. Maybe he just saw it as an opportunity to go to a big time program. He was previously previously committed to USF before flipping his transfer commitment to Florida. Maybe he just saw that opening there, and maybe even more of an opening now. Of course, with, with Goodwin on the way out, uh, but uh, it, may, it maybe opens up the door for a pretty good battle this fall. Uh, between George and, and, and Hudson, and that should really just benefit Florida with that uh, a battle there at right tackle. Well, I was going to say it's it's not as the fall camp's over, so yeah. <laughs> so the, I'm I'm sure he didn't come in with a, where they were like, oh, you'll be a backup. 
You'll, you'll, yeah. you'll be the backup. Go ahead and come on in. It was like, no, there's going to be an open competition. The other thing is, again, I mean, he mentioned Jordan, Jordan Herman. Yeah. Interestingly, a tackle, he didn't mention the freshman. So no Christian Williams, who's a redshirt freshman. No Caleb Jones, who was sort of a, a, a National Signing Day signee there in this class. So, you know, whereas he's pumping up Nigel Harris at the guard spot, it makes sense when you start looking at the depth chart because there's nobody in that sort of that sophomore space with Cam Waits out with the, uh, with the injury. But you start looking at, at tackle and George Herman Barber and Hudson are the four that he mentions. Um, you know, I think what will end up happening is, is that whoever ends up losing out will be sort of the rotation tackle, mm. right? That, that if something were to happen to Barber, then, and let's say George is the third tackle, well, he's going to have to sub in for Barber. If something happens to Hudson and George is the backup, then he's going to have to sub in for Hudson. And you're sort of going to have to cross train that guy to, to go to left and right tackle. I don't know that you're necessarily going to say, well, you know, George, you'll be the right tackle backup and Herman, you'll be the yeah. left tackle backup. I don't think that's probably the way it'll go. Um, I don't think, so I, don't, I don't think they have that luxury will honestly i mean you're right I, this they were they have to cross train yeah well and and this is where you know the last few years florida's actually been very fortunate in terms of offensive line injuries um they've had a couple of guys get nicked up but nothing where they missed major major playing time other than tarquin being out last year and barber stepping in now i do think that barber stepping in does give you some confidence that if there's an injury the guy behind him is going to be ready and and you know that hasn't always been the case at florida but with the two offensive line coaches with napier being the offensive coordinator that does give you more individual time with these guys um look there's there's no doubt that Goodwin leaving is is a problem from a depth perspective. There was, I'm sure, they've invested time and energy and effort getting him ready to go, and you know you're not going to have that guy there. But it's sort of the same thing as Waits. You you bring him in from from Louisiana, and you expect him to be a big part of what's going on. And all of a sudden, you know, he tears an Achilles. Now it does sound like he's going to be back at some point during the season. So again, if he if he, he recovers he, well, he was out there working out today too, by the way. So he's he's out there with the team and. Doing yeah. So at some point this year, we may see Cam Waits out there too. And that that's sort of a depth piece depending upon how how good he is. Now, obviously, the only time we've seen him in a game, he was a guard. He's playing right guard in that game against Oregon State. So um, you know, where exactly he fits in in this entire scheme, I don't necessarily know. But look, there's no doubt that there's, there's stuff they have to figure out. Um, and Hudson is a part of that. And like you said, I, I don't think he comes in with – like I don't think they promise anybody anything. Right. But I think they, other than a competition. And so, you know, he has an opportunity to compete. And let's be honest, if you're Hudson and you've been at a mid-tier, a mid-tier program and you're not getting drafted in the NFL based on your performance at that program, well, where do you go? Do you go to a place where you have the opportunity to play definitively? Or do you go to a place where you show you can play in the SEC and all of a sudden now you're a surefire NFL draft pick? I think you know that calculus has to be made as well. I mean, that is the benefit of being able to point to Osiris Torrance from last year and saying, look, this guy was was perceived as one of the best players in the country, but everybody knew he was one of the best players in the country after last year. And you can sell that as far as as far as transfer offensive linemen. So you bring in Hudson, you you bring him into an open competition. I think George obviously has the leg up because he's been there since the spring and made a decision to commit to this this team early. Um, and continuity on the offensive line is a major deal, and so having that continuity helps. At the same time, you're gonna somebody's gonna get nicked up at some point throughout the year. So whether it's Hudson playing with George backing him up or George playing with Hudson backing him up, some one of those guys is getting in the game and going to have to play um, significant minutes, and, and we'll see if they're ready to go.
All right, we'll get to a little bit of center talk as well. Uh, and he was asked, what do you expect from Kingsley to take that next step? And Sales says, second, you're in a system. Uh, you got a lot on your plate when it comes to the center position. And, you know, Mike Declaration is calling the front. We've got a lot of motion, boxes, changes. He'll be nothing but better, just no different than any other position. The more you stack those reps with all the different variables that come at the position, you have no choice but to get better. There's technique things, obviously, we'll talk about as our evaluation on the player that he has to clean up and move forward to get where he wants to get. He's done a good job. He's conscious of the thing he needs to get, um, that he needs to get to the tape that he wants to play out there. So, uh, yeah. And then he was asked about Roderick Kearney playing center in the spring game. Does he stay there uh, or play guard? How do you view him moving forward? Uh, and Rob Sale says, no, he's going to be center for us. I know he had a few snaps there in the spring game, but he had a cast on his wrist. Uh, give him a yard pass on that. He's going to be a great player, does everything the right way. He's tough, comes from a great family, uh, which now he's a product of the way he was raised. Uh, but he's going to be a great center for us. I have no worries about that at all. So high praise there for another freshman <laughs> on this offensive line. And Roger Kearney yeah, did tr- struggle in the in – the, uh, Spring game, of course, but he's right down the road for me right here in Orange Park. He's more of a guard. Uh, I didn't know if he was going to play center or not. He gets to Gainesville. They lay, lay him up at center in the spring. We saw the struggles, but maybe Rob Sale explains why that happened uh, just a bit there for Roger Kearney. Uh, new position, learning to snap, a wrist, uh, a, a cast on his wrist at the same time. So maybe you can see why he struggled there just a bit. Uh, but yeah, even uh, last week, I, I put that freshman series up from the uh, from Florida Victorious, and you can hear uh, from Roger Kearney too. And definitely got a good head on his shoulders there. So uh, no worries at all uh, from Rob Sale as far as Roger Kearney goes at center. Uh, so he feels pretty confident there, Will, as, for him, a second year player in Kingsley Aguacan, and then a young Roger Kearney behind him. Yeah, well, I mean, so Egwiken is not just a second-year player. He's a fourth-year player, right? It's the second right. year in this system. Yeah, so it's the think, second year for him. Yeah, for, but I think for, but yeah. I think that's a big thing, right? You think about the growing pains that Florida had a couple of years ago where they were at Kentucky and just had false start after false start after false start. Like, that's partly – some of those were definitely on Egwiken. And so, um, you know, he's not going to be intimidated going into Utah. And he's probably the one that I look at and say – he's the guy that you just want to make sure doesn't get nicked up throughout the season because he's going to be the quarterback of that offensive line. And while you're going to have moving parts around him, he's going to be the one who hopefully can bring a calming influence to that game, to to that particular unit. If you end up having to put Rod Curdy in there, I mean, look – Sale is being generous, saying that there were a couple of bad snaps in the spring game. It was a pretty consistent theme that the snaps were not great. Um, you know, and, and again, true freshman, spring game, all that sort of stuff, not necessarily faulting him. But I think you can look back at that Kentucky game a couple of years ago with Egwiken and say, those growing pains should pay dividends this year. I think if you've got Kearney in there, you're going to have to go through some of those growing pains that we went, went through with, with Egwiken a couple of years ago. And so um, he's the one I point at and go, man, I just don't want him to get nicked up. Like, I think it's important to be able to keep him healthy for most of the year. And, uh, you know, if they decide to give Kearney a bunch of stats, a bunch of snaps in some of those cupcake games, game two and game four there, um, I will not be upset because I want to make sure Egelkin is healthy <laughs> when they're playing Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia and LSU. Absolutely there. So, all right, offensive line talk uh, right there from Rob Sale kind of going through 
um, that, that, that position group. And, um, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll see what it means. Some good pieces. Uh, they need to find some, find some answers on that right side. And, uh, we'll see what they do for some depth, but maybe some true freshmen being counted on, uh, in those depth spots right here for the Gators offensive line. So, all right, quick notes from the first practice today, of course, helmets only, uh, you had some first timers out there today, guys that were not part of this team in the spring, uh, wide receiver, Eugene Wilson will, Will, he's one guy we're pointing to uh, to come in and maybe be a playmaker for this offense and dealing with a hamstring injury is what it sounds like. Eugene Wilson kind of limited today in practice off to the side of the, the side field uh, doing his thing there. So um, uh, unfortunate, hopefully he's back on the field soon and he put together that display of, of talent. We're just waiting to see at that wide receiver spot. Uh, offensive tackle Caden Jones, his first practice again as well today. Defensive lineman Gavin Hill and cornerback Dijon Johnson, as we heard earlier, with two pick sixes in his very first Florida Gator fall camp practice uh, right there with Dijon Johnson to flip from Ohio State uh, in last year's recruiting class. Uh, then you had some uh, transfers, of course, making their debuts for the Gators. Jacoby Jackson, a running back. Offensive lineman Lindell Hudson, of course, we just discussed him. Edge rusher Quincy Ivory and then safety R.J. Moten. Uh, together for the first time for this Gator team this fall camp. And then, of course, observe wearing black no-contact jerseys. This is about the news we're going to get. The only open portion of practice. You can probably glean a little bit from what's happening there, but uh, no-contact jerseys included Jonathan Odom, the tight end, Micah Mazuka. Uh, did see those guys doing some the team activities uh, Ty Bowman was uh, in the black no contact. Eugene Wilson, as I said. Uh, also, Cam Waits was working out by himself, as I said, as he tries to get back at some point this season. Uh, Mazuka was getting some first-team reps, even though in no contact. And R.J. Moten was with the first-team defense back there at the safety spot. So there we go, Will. little bit of football that, uh, that we get to take away from some open portion of practice. Well, fall lies, buddy. Fall lies. We'll 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 see uh, we'll see what happens when uh, when when everything's open. I mean, they're not going to show very much in this stuff, and that, that yeah. is one thing about the uh, the open practice that's coming up. I mean, they're going to show you what they want to show you in that one, and and they should, right? I mean, we're getting close to a road game against a big time Power Five opponent, and you got to like that's not an easy game. So you yeah. got to make sure you got every advantage you got when you're going out there. And uh, there, is you know, a, so I, there is taking that. There is a little bit of element of surprise. So you're right. I mean, they probably shouldn't show much changing quarterbacks. You got a new defensive coordinator. You're not putting anything out there. <laughs> yeah. So when Max Brown goes out to start against Utah, we'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be shocked and surprised just like Utah will be. <laughs> oh man. Will on fire. I'll, I'll put that on. I'll, I'll, I'll put that out on social media right there. That'll be the first one I put out on this episode. Allegedly. <laughs> All right. Uh, back in the groove of things right here with Will. Will, you got uh, stuff coming up with the fall. Yeah, game. man. So, like so I said, for- baseball season's over for you. We're getting back here on the podcast. It's about the about time to get back in the groove on reading reaction as well. 
Yeah, it is. We got uh, obviously we're going to be doing Mondays for Gators breakdown all season long. Um, you know, I'm I'm about to put up a series or start a series. It's looking at so for the preseason magazine that we had, um, Nick and I always picked the wins, the losses, and the toss up games. So I'm going to be going through the schedule in the next couple of weeks, looking at all the toss up games and saying what really sort of pushes that in Florida's favor, or why did I call it a toss up game as opposed to being a win or a loss, that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, you know, once season starts, man, previews on Thursday. Thursdays, recaps on Sunday mornings, and uh, you know, there's usually uh, I try to have a, a post game video after, mm-hmm. right after the game, over on the Patreon channel, so you can check that out over there too. So, a lot of stuff going on, man. A lot of content. It's always fun once it, once the bullets start flying and we get to uh, get to experience some real football again. Well, you're probably going. To, we're going to have to schedule this out on, 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 uh, when you take a look at the schedule because it's something I'm I want to do on Gators Breakdown as well in the next few weeks. You know, just opposing coaches' thoughts that I love, and then we talk about on Florida. I want to do that for the opponents as well uh, coming up in the next few weeks. What do opposing, you know, what do the coaches out there think for think about Florida's opponents uh, as well out there? So I think uh, we'll get some, shed some light uh, about uh, what opposing coaches for the opponents think as well. I think, uh, I think, I think that'd pretty, be pretty enlightening. So maybe we can, you know, kind of partner up in that regard of what you do for your, what you did for your preseason magazine, what you're about to do for Read and Reaction, and we'll tie it in with the, uh, the, the opposing coaches' thoughts from the uh, the coaches out there. I can guarantee you they're higher on Joe Milton than I am. <laughs> oh, little tease <laughs> for you guys. Little tease. There we go. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. We'll see. We'll see. I know. I know. I know you were big on Hendon Hooker, and you and you call. I think he maybe even exceeded your expectations, but you were you were pretty high on him anyway. So I was high on Hooker. I watched him at Virginia Tech. So yeah. um, I went to Florida, but I also went to Virginia Tech. Had family in Blacksburg. So when when they were upset, like the family who grew up in Blacksburg were upset that Hooker left. I was like, all right, I got to take a closer look at this. And they went, oh crap, man, why did he go to Tennessee? And sure enough, he played real well there. And, and and, you know, a few years ago with Burrow, I was pretty on on that one. Um, there's some things you can look at, right? And the things that you tend to look at for quarterbacks, Milton is not somebody that I look at and go, yeah, I'm seeing some giant step up for him. So we'll see. I mean, there have been guys who've proven me wrong before, but, uh, um, you know, I, I think um, – it's always interesting when you see a team that's got fantastic quarterback play, what happens when that quarterback play sort of just recedes back to even normal. Like you think about Florida when Tebow left and we all thought John Brantley was going to step in and be like a major, a major player and, and a, and a huge contributor to what Florida was going to be able to sustain. Damn and Brantley was just, Brantley was just not that guy, right? And and Driscoll was supposed to be that guy, and he just wasn't that guy. And Treon was supposed to be that guy, and he wasn't that guy. And Greer was supposed to be that guy, and then he got popped for GNC. And you know, there's just been this sort of parade of quarterbacks who come through, a lot of them very highly ranked, who just have not been able to work out for Florida. And then it turns out the best quarterback that we've had since Tebow is Kyle Trask, who was a two-star <laughs> guy who – Always looked great in camp, but never got the trust of his coaches until Frank's tore up his ankle, and all of a sudden he had got thrust in there. So it's not an exact science, and uh, um, I'm interested to see what happens because this really is a test for Hypel. I mean, uh, you know, Milton specifically yeah. is a test for Hypel. I think Hooker was somebody who sort of was able to leverage his skills in Hypel's offense. The question I have is, Milton going to be able to do that? So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun, fun experiment. Yeah, think so too. Think so too. So all right, there we go. Lots coming up, fall camp. Uh, should be getting a lot of pretty good uh, uh, player 
press conferences, Napier, of course, so we'll keep you up to date that way uh, throughout fall camp. So, all right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Miles SEC, his site, Read and Reaction. I am the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us on this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>